history happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after-show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, number 34, Writing in Bulgaria during 1910 to 1920. So if you haven't listened to that, go back, check it out, or else there are going to be some spoilers ahead. I think the word you meant was tedious. Hello and welcome to History Happened Everywhere. My name is Ryan Weir and I'm here in the HHE studio with the dazzling, the fabulous, it's Mr. Peter Goddard. Ooh, I've never been described as dazzling and fabulous before. Yeah, well, there's a, always a first. I'm excited. Is it the glitter? <laughs> <laughs> We should probably introduce the cerebral, the sagacious, Mr. Paul Dursley. Sagacious, that's very nice, thank you. Did you research that or did that come off the top of your head? Off the top of my head. (laughs) (laughs) Thumbing through a thesaurus all afternoon, weren't you? Pete, how you doing? Very good, sir. I want ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) He wants a treaty. He wants a treaty. There's going to be plenty of that coming up. Yes, there's an interesting point about that, but we'll come to it. Ooh. Oh dear, Pete is shaking Foreshadowing in his boots. Disaster at looms. <laughs> I feel like Bulgaria in 1913. <laughs> <laughs> this is going well. <laughs> so, Pete, question for you. Yes. What do these have in common? Blaise Pascal, right? Alexandra Volta, mm-hmm. James Prescott Jewell, yep. Isaac Newton. They are all people who are noted physicists who have scales of various electrical things named after them. Units of measurement named after them. Correct. And I was thinking, I wondered if there were any units of measurements that hadn't been equated for yet, and we could use the <gasps> Dursley measure. The Dursley? How many Dursleys is that? How many Dursleys in a oh, something? Yeah, in an unnecessary correction. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, just off the top of my head there. (laughs) That 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 reminds me of the Bristol stool scale. What's that? The Bristol stool scale is an indication of human turds and it classifies them. By quality or some other factor? Look it it up. (laughs) It's actually, it's actually, well it's not. It it must be colour and consistency. Yes, and uh, some wag uh, sort of put chocolate bars in instead. (laughs) The Cadbury measurement. I I think there is a a very obvious Dursley scale. Hmm. I think the Dursley scale goes from I am sitting enjoying this podcast to I am shrieking at the radio every (laughs) 10 seconds. Yeah, and then everything in between. So that's 1 to 10 Dursleys is how your podcast goes. Okay, is that a logarithmic scale or a linear scale? You tell us. I think logarithmic. Yeah, I agree. I agree too. I confirm. (laughs) I can endorse that. You you endorse it. Good. Well, that's endorsed. (laughs) Right, that is enough tish and tosh for uh, this section. We need to crack on because there's a lot to talk about. Okay, firstly, I think it's rather unfair that I have to do a one-minute summary (laughs) of this particular (laughs) podcast, which was vast, but I would endeavour to do my best. you get one minute. I understand the the rules. The rules are strict. They are, they are. They're not set by me. Okay, and off you go. 
We travelled to the Balkan Peninsula to Bulgaria, which was part of the Ottoman Empire for 500 years before the 19th century gave rise to the Bulgarian Renaissance and the struggle for a country of their own. After a failed April uprising and a much more successful Russian attack on the Ottomans, Bulgaria was created by the Treaty of San Stefano, then immediately cut into smaller chunks by the great European powers Britain, France, Germany and friends, who did not want a large powerful country in that area. Undeterred, Bulgaria united with the land lost to the east before joining Serbia, Greece and Montenegro in the Balkan League and successfully waged war on the Ottomans, securing a large tranche of new land. They then began bickering over who should take which bit of that land and Bulgaria attacked its former allies, Serbia and Greece, who fought back hard, inspiring Bulgaria's other neighbours, Romania and Turkey, to join the pylon and defeat Bulgaria. Then a short pause for breath before another war broke out. At the start of World War I, Bulgaria stayed neutral, but in the end they joined the Central Powers, unfortunately also known as the losing side. We finished the podcast with Bulgaria broke, exhausted by war, but also, as we found out, having produced some remarkable, if mostly pretty gloomy, poetry. Last week's episode done, summarised nicely, nice one son, now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of thee, he'll take you apart without any care, he's the lovely Paul Dursley, the lovely Paul Dursley. Okay, well done, Peter. Yeah, that's just that, that's all that happened. It was quite a lot, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Paul. Tell us, in in four words, what did you think of this week's episode? Lacking, tedious, interesting, and long. The the one of those I would absolutely not dispute <laughs> is long. <laughs> I don't think I've got a defence against that one. Hey, I, I don't know why we're saying long is a bad thing here. Oh, that's a good point. We haven't interpreted long. I haven't interpreted that as long. I, I think long is a good one in this in this instance. That's true. Gone, Gone with the Wind is a very long movie, but it's still a classic. The words classic and tedious are quite often interchangeable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, look, let's get into it. Let's find out why you found it tedious. But also interesting. Boring, long, and whatever else you Interesting said. was also in there. I, that was what I was... Obviously, I was listening for the good words. Yeah. <laughs> there was one. <laughs> so it was both tedious and interesting, which I thought I would let unpack. Well, yes, oh. there were there were, there were some little factlets which I which I found interesting. Okay. Well, let's start at the beginning. So, Paul, have, do you, have you ever heard of Bulgaria? Uh, yes, I have. And I think where my first word was lacking, I think... Pete, you started too late in your history because I think you should have started earlier because it would have actually resolved some of the questions that arose later in terms of, you know, Bulgaria didn't actually start there. It started around Crimea with sort of wandering hordes of of people who slowly migrated to where Bulgaria is now. And so that is why, obviously why why you know interesting why does bulgaria use the cyrillic alphabet yet romania which is closer to russia uses the latin alphabet well i would I, actually i can add to that because bulgaria invented the cyrillic alphabet oh saint cyril yes so saint cyril invented it a first version an early version and then the head of bulgaria commissioned a another version and it was a it's cyrillic's a bulgarian fundamentally yes well why don't they use cyrillic in romania then yeah why don't they pete well, I'm glad you asked that because Romanian as language is very similar to French. It has a Latin yes, it root, is. and therefore I can posit that the tribe of some kind came wandering over from the Frankish area to settle Romania. But you know, from the seventh century, there was such a thing as I think there were two Bulgarian empires, and they were large. You know, they took up most of the Balkan Peninsula, 
a lot of you know the San Stefano stuff is trying to sort of capture the the land of that empire again. Yeah, so I, I did look at the the early history, and it just seemed like too much. I, I'm trying to cover a ten year period that was so intense that I sort of expanded it heavily, and I really didn't want to expand it any more. Uh, it's a fair point that perhaps it would have explained a lot of things. Okay, but I I, I just think it, that that specific bit would have framed as yeah the 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 attitude of the Balkan states. Yeah, I think that's it's, it's a fair point. I, I would also just want to throw this into the ring, which is that if he had covered that off, when I inevitably roll 1850 in Bulgaria, I won't have anything to talk about. <laughs> so I'm quite happy he left that out. Okay. It was, that's a fair point, actually, Ryan, because technically I'd covered a lot more ground than the 10 years I was allocated. Yeah. But the 10 years just didn't make any sense without the stuff that came before. Mm. So what you're saying is, in many ways, the podcast wasn't long enough long but i, but I, 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 I sorry <laughs> i i just thought i just thought it may have set the scene better i agree paul the thing that i found was it, it didn't have enough information in it <laughs> <laughs> i felt you, left, okay. you were left going i feel hungry I, like, I feel like i've just had a snack not a meal <laughs> no this is, is bulgaria not hungry hey, hey. I, I have a question for you. When you as a child or as a young lad were, were reading The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, did you actually read the songs or did you just skip over them? Uh, I mean, I think I probably did, yeah. Oh, OK. That's, that's, that's very unusual. <laughs> no, that, that's, I'm afraid that's a bit how I felt when the poetry came on. I sort of went... Ugh. Yeah, I knew it was a gamble going for poetry on from a Dursley perspective on the grounds that you are a man of fact and science, not a man of uh, ethereal emotions and poetic statement. However, I was right. <laughs> just to just to illustrate for our listeners what it might sound like for Paul listening to your poetry, uh, I have a little clip here which was sent to me by Paul, <laughs> which I'm going to play right now. Oh, Here we go. This is the sound of Paul enjoying the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. And you, O oh Raven, accursed... Oh, my God. you of ill impending. Ah, I know you weep, my mother, because you're a slave in bondage lying. Now get on with it. sacred voice is a... So, Pete, any reaction to uh, Paul's reaction? I am entirely unsurprised by Paul's reaction. I get it. It's not... Po poetry isn't for everybody, right? It's fine. I it is the highest that. form of literature. I'm not sure I would uh, support that. It's kind of the most respected of the literary forms. Mm -hmm. There is a, a sort of general sense that poetry is prose with all the fat cut out and it's all this sort of these sort of condensed art, if you like, in terms of the, the arts that require verbal. OK, that may be that may be fine in, in its natural language, but when it's translated, a lot of the effort is in the translation. Well, that, that does raise all sorts of interesting questions about how one translates a specific, a very specifically poetry, which is you know, you're losing a load of rhymes. So do you try and retain rhymes or? 
or do you try and retain a sense of what they're saying? Well, surely if it, if it was written if it was written as a rhyming poem in its original language, it's got to be rhyming when you uh, translate it. If it's written as uh, what's the sort of what's the term for a non-rhyming poem? I did know it. Free verse. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, but quite quite often, sort of the translations can be better than the original. Um, I know this is not verse, but it seems if you if you know the Tintin books, the actual English language versions are much funnier and better than the ones originally written in French. Yeah, it does raise a lot of really interesting questions about how one approaches any work in translation, but poetry particularly, because poetry is so condensed yeah. and it has such a sort of specific forms. So you might, if it's a sonnet, there's a certain number of syllables, right? So suddenly you're translating a word, but the translated word has an extra syllable. Now you're not fitting into the form. So to what extent do you try and respect the form over the intent of the word? Well, that's um, the difficult decision you have to make as a translator, isn't it? It's like this, I found the perfect word that translates, I don't know, a grief or yeah. an emotion, but it doesn't rhyme. And so I've, I've gone with a bit sad. And suddenly you've gone from, I was consumed by grief to, I felt a bit sad because it rhymed. And that's perhaps not getting across what the original author really hoped for, right? <laughs> yeah. However... The poetry, I can accept that poetry was writing, whereas the treaties were not necessarily written, or were not written by Bulgarians, they were written for Bulgarians. That's true, that's true, I'm down with that. Uh, I respect your opinion. I still think it qualifies as writing in the subject of Bulgaria. However, you have inspired me to to ask a question that was kind of on my mind, which was, when you sign a treaty, Mm. what do they do with it? Where do you file a treaty? Is there like a big filing cabinet of international agreements somewhere? Well, there there is now. It's at the United Nations. So they have like a big old store, some library in there that's got all the treaties. Yeah, uh, but but also g- generally what happens is when you write a treaty, there are some clauses in it. For example, so- something, if you have a multi-language treaty, it might say, although this treaty is written in five languages, the only official languages that it can be um, analysed in are English and French, for example. And then it would say, there'd be a clause also in it to say, this treaty will be held at the United Nations dot 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 or wherever it was historically. Do you have like a middleman who organises it and does all the admin going well, back yeah, and forth that, between he, the you, different you, countries? It was that it was that bloke who created Uruguay and um, Belgium. Oh yeah, Ponsonby Smythe or whatever his name was. Um... Hello, this is the voice of the internet. John Ponsonby, the first Viscount Ponsonby, was a long-time British diplomat and politician who was sent by the British Empire to promote the independence of both Uruguay and Belgium. It is rumoured that King George IV was envious of John Ponsonby's handsome good looks. So jealous that he sent the man across the globe to keep him away from the ladies of the royal court. Thank you. So I recall, I don't, I think this might have been a New Zealand treaty where there was the treaty and there were the English language version mm-hmm. and there was the Maori version and... <laughs> It just said something different. <laughs> so they signed both versions. And then the Brits are like, oh, thanks for that. Look. And obviously they weren't bothered about what the native language version said. <laughs> just going, oh, yeah, we own your country now. Thanks so much for signing that, which is the most pathetic of parlor tricks, really. <laughs> yeah. But I love the idea of you've written a po- Treaties are sort of meaningless in a way, because all you've got to do is... Well, the Russians did it. They went, well, forget all those treaties. And as we discussed in the podcast, shredded it very slowly before each other's eyes. <laughs> a treaty is, I think it's a, a curious thing that was really on my mind, which is the treaty is meaningless. It's just, it is fundamentally just a piece of paper. If you just want to go to war despite it, you can, right? 
uh, yeah, it, it's it's a piece of paper. It's a sort of a placeholder, in fact, you know. You know it's not going to last a vast amount of time, but you put something there to give you a bit of breathing space. You know, the number of treaties that were signed to allow people to, you know, under that treaty, rearm so they could fight the war that everybody knew was coming after it. Right, but and I think that what's interesting to me is that they exist at all, right? So a contract in, let's say, Ryan, you and I agree to buy a cow. Mm. I'm going to buy your cow. Okay. We sign a contract. Yep. You you say I'm not going to sell you a cow now. Yeah, there is a, a a sort of higher authority that can then enforce the thing that we wrote down, and that thing has value and power because there is a higher power to say yay or nay to who's right and who's wrong based on what we wrote down. Right? Mm. So a treaty, there is no higher power to enforce it. I guess that's yes. kind of what the the intent of the United States is. But and yet we still write all these things down. We don't just go well verbally. I'm not going to attack you, but the, the need to still write down something and sign a document and say that. That's it. That's the moment. This sort of theatre of agreement, even though there's nothing to hold you to it, is it's uh, remarkable it's a, it's that a, it's still it's a, a thing. It's a fig leaf. That's all. That's that's all it is. It's it's what a cipher, a fig leaf, whatever you want to call it, just to buy time. Or but it, but it, I think it's more important than that. It's it's there's still this moment of like war breaks out. You declare war. You declare peace. There's these moments, these symbolic moments that even at the level of governments and nations you say right the war is over but it's not over until i've literally signed this little bit of paper and agreed to something mm. how long do they last for can they last hundreds of years well we've written whatever whatever's in the treaty but in inevitably treaties are overturned fundamentally yeah. they last as long as both people recognize them. exactly mm. and that's the thing about not having a higher power a contract between you and i will last as long as the government that, that and the laws and the courts that exist to enforce our contract as long as those powers exist our contract will exist it's not between you and me it's between actually it's about the courts the law of the uk in this case and i can see as you get a new ruler leader monarch step into play they might want to readjust the contract right or you could get a new government so in our case you and i have a contract i've i'm a horrible landlord and then we have a revolution and there's a communist government and they say landlords no longer own the land mm. so now our our contract is void not because you and i had a disagreement but because the people who were going to enforce it decide they're no longer going to enforce that uh, agreement yes uh, and and you, you, you know, in, if you go in terms of you know international politics you say you 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 have it held at the united nations but the United Nations is impotent. It can't do anything about it because it it isn't a superpower over everybody else. Because the people, the people at the United Nations are the, or members of the United Nations are the self same people who signed the treaty. I mean, we actually saw it in San, San Stefano. San Stefano was a treaty until the great powers, who were fundamentally the people who would implement or otherwise or be the authority over these agreements, went. No, we're not going to do that. Mm. And it wasn't between the people. It was actually between yeah. the enforcing authority, well, that, which was a great well, power. That's, that's, what I, that's why I say it's a fig leaf. You know, in the 19th century, you did what the British or French said, if it was in their sphere of influence. Just as at the moment, look at, Green, the, look at the Greenland episode, America says something and it happens. You know, it always happens when you're the hegemon power. So are you going to buy this cow or not? I've looked your gift cow in the mouth and I found it lacking in teeth. Also udders. I think it might be a bull. Yeah, I think it is a bull. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to sell you a bull. Yeah, oh. what, 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 what has just dropped out of the back, actually? <laughs> it's another episode.
Right, I want to talk about the great powers. Because that was, um, I mean, I knew that there were big nations that held a lot of power within Europe. I didn't understand that, that they would get together and coordinate what would happen in other areas of the map that didn't include their own countries. Of course they do. It's human nature. It happens now. It happens then. It's always happened. There is only one great power now. Well, actually, great powers are not the top powers. So the great powers are basically the same. That, that's what's happened. It was great powers with the, was the original term. Then, then, of course, we've had inflation, and then there were the superpowers, okay, which are above the great powers. And then inflation again, and said there is now a hyperpower. Okay, so wait, so what? So there are different groups of people now classified as the super awesome I think mega it's just group called America. Yeah, it? it's, uh, and, and of course, different people would have different views on that. Wait, but that's not what we were talking about during the episode. You said there was a group of like five people who would get together and just sit around a big old map on a table and so, okay, say, so well, I'm having this bit, you're having that bit. Who does that now? It's a synecdoche though, isn't it? It's the five people are five countries or five empires around the table. So I don't think the world has quite that same situation of literally people drawing lines on a map as they did back then. Okay. It still happens, but not quite as manifestly as that. So what is the G8 then, or G7 or whatever it is, the G6? Yeah, I mean, they're not drawing on maps, but they are deciding who they'll invest. So money has replaced military, really, in a lot of ways. Yes. So who are we going to invest in? Who are we going to not invest in? Who are we going to prevent trade with? Who are we going to encourage trade with? Is now the the tools instead of drawing lines on a map and saying this is they they are they are for want of a better word the modern colonialism colonialism now is not to do with land it is to do with business and culture so like the chinese putting highways in in africa to create an infrastructure that they can then run later yeah exactly and then it's it's quite interesting that these countries that were once under european domination seem quite happy to allow chinese domination oh yeah we've got a road or you haven't right from their perspective (laughs) someone's going to buy me a road i'll let them buy me a road okay yeah buy me a road and then 20 years down the line you know who owns the country Maybe not owns the country de jure, but de facto. Well, there's always a price to pay, isn't there? It's not like we've exactly Mm. covered ourselves in glory in this respect. True. Paul, do you think you would have made a good ambassador for one of the great powers in those discussions and negotiations and things? Probably. Probably. Yeah, I think so too. I think we finally stumbled upon something that that you really would have excelled at. (laughs) (laughs) All the sort of running and fishing and hunting and fighting and dying, you were like not suited to. Well, you know, what's the the perfect job for a closet megalomaniac? (laughs) (laughs) On behalf of someone more powerful than me, I demand you give up chunks of your country. (laughs) Yeah, I think you'd be good at it. I, I almost want to give you some stuff. Do you want uh, Do you want a half of my flat? Uh, and what is in your flat? I want the half with the decent stuff in it. See, he's so good. <laughs> so he's good. so good. He's Straight to that. <laughs> that's the that's the joking bit, isn't it? We're, you know, we're joking about it, but that's it. Oh, yes. You know, we, we talked about it, about Senegal and Gambia. You know, it's, you know, who's the top dog gets the best bit. So, so if you're going to have great powers, that means you've got to have people that are the lesser powers, right? Mm-hmm. Your Bulgaria yeah, well, situation. Yeah, well, there were class att- there were t- there or there are terms. It's the middle powers and the small powers, right? So, and there were those terms were in use uh, in the 19th and early 20th century. Um, so, in our group of three, who is the great power? Who is the middle power? And who's the small power? I think we know that. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah, I think so too. 
I'm with you, Paul. Yeah, me too. I yeah. think we all I know. We all know. We all know who the great power. powers and the small powers are. Yeah. <laughs> we all know. Nobody needs yeah. to say anything. No, nope. no, we don't. That's just do we? how it is. Do we, Pete? No, we don't. No, no, we don't. No, we, no, don't. we do not. We do not. Let's talk about Bulgarian snacks. Yes, I, I didn't get that. Is it sweet or savoury? Savoury. They're both savoury. So oh, okay. um, they were, they're sort of puffed maize with a mm-hmm. flavouring. Uh, we had two packets. One which so was... So it's, it's some sort of extruded maize, like a what's it or something like extruded that. Maize. Extruded maize. <laughs> again, once again, but you've put it on the packet. This <laughs> is the thing that's going to bring the hordes coming. That is marketing at its finest. Extruded maize <laughs> with flavouring. Well, kids love extruded maize. You can make it into any shape you like. That's true. Buttery extruded maize. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, they were two extruded maize snacks, one that was flavoured with butter, and then there was one that was flavoured with nuts, nuts, peanuts specifically. Peanuts? I, I hate peanuts. Well, they really smell of peanut. They didn't taste of peanut. I'm not allergic to peanuts, but I hate them. I think people who have a peanut allergy should have what I've got. I just smell them from a yard or two off and I have to, I have to retch. Well, I wish I'd sent you these now to eat some just to see whether oh, I would have eaten them because they are really... Well, I wouldn't because they wouldn't have got anywhere near Really me. smelly. Um, but I was wondering, are peanuts a very particularly Bulgarian flavour? Like, would we have been better at having some sort of grief-flavoured extruded maize? <laughs> or, um, just tra- tragedy flavour. Tragedy flavour. <laughs> Salty tears. And vinegar. <laughs> you know, strict, strictly speaking, they should be wheat-based, given Bulgar wheat. Oh, more yeah, than the point, they should Bulgar. be wheat-based. Wheat-based. <laughs> wheat. <laughs> Extruded wheat. Look, we're, we're laughing about the Krispies, but um, they were a delicious treaty. As was the the beer. We both agreed the beer was oh, delicious. The beer was very nice. I enjoyed that. So what was it? This was a strange beer, you were saying. It had a bit of a sweet flavour? Earthy flavour. Yeah, it was. It had it had layers for sure. I was thinking we should get sponsored by like a random beer company, or indeed anyone at all. So, Paul, an opportunity for you to ask any questions of Peter, um, of his of his episode. Do you have any, any anything specifically you wanted to to find out? Anything to validate? Okay, um, I have an uber pedant point here, which I wrote down. If the population of Sophia was twenty thousand, and then it went up to one hundred and twenty thousand, how can that be a six hundred percent increase? Oh, you bust your maths. <laughs> So, so what you do, um, Paul, to to get this number is mm. you take um, mm-hmm. a, the website in which you found this fact. He's sweating. Then you you, you copy the text, <laughs> and then, then you paste that text in your notes, yeah. and you read it out. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, you could have said either. You could have said either of those facts, but if you said them together, they contradict each other. 
I love that he just sat there and worked out the maths just to prove you wrong. Well, no, it's obvious, and people always get this wrong. You know, a six—it's not a six hundred percent increase; it's a five hundred percent increase. I mean, it is a lot of difference. It's wildly different. I can't. No, 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 no! Come, come off it. A hundred percent increase—you've doubled. So you've doubled it. A two hundred percent increase—you've trebled it. So it's a, it's a, it's an in hundreds. It's an n minus one hundred percent increase. I realise that's uber pedantic, but anything else that he got wrong? I'm intrigued. Uh, no, no, I've got an interesting quote from you, Ryan, though. Uh, what? I set myself up for that. Well, you were, you, you, you were talking about the warfare, and then you actually said it's not modern warfare in the classical sense. <laughs> I really don't understand what that means. You might want to insert it here. Just, uh, just on that then, 1913, so we're talking about battles. What does a battle look like in those days? This, this is redcoat still. No, right. 1913, no. you're just pre-World War One. you're looking at... What are they wearing? Cannons like and rifles. People and on horses still? Uh, there'll be horses, yeah. It's still cannon though, right? It's not... We haven't got any of the yeah, tanks and cannons. stuff like tanks that Tanks haven't been invented, It's not no. modern warfare in, in no, classical it's the, sense. I guess... Yeah, it was, a, it was an unfortunate turn of phrase, wasn't it? Yes. Okay. Uh, well then, I guess this is it. We are we're in the courtroom. I'm, the the crowd is milling, waiting for the the judge to appear. Well, I've got my black handkerchief ready. Oh my lord! I feel like I'm that person that sits there with the weird little typewriter thing. Stenographer. Yeah, yeah. Right, we are in the courtroom. People are milling and whispering under hushed tones. There's a journalist in a phone booth going, "Yeah, yeah." The jury's out now. They're coming yeah, on. Coming in. Yeah. Right here we are. Then the time has come. Peter, are you nervous? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, well, so you should be, because here comes the judge. So, Judge Dursley. Your Honour. We are gathered here today. We're not getting married. <laughs> <laughs> to witness your judgment. Okay. And also get married. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. in terms of the duration of podcast i'm afraid it's a d too long <laughs> oh d for yes Dursley. Um, it's just too long you've got to edit it down pete your episodes are always long compared to ryan's but i suppose you generally get better grades though don't you yeah okay do you know in the movies when uh, the, the super confident defendant comes mm. in and he's totally sure he's going to get off <laughs> and then he starts looking at his lawyer and starts to uh, the color Sweat. drains from his face yeah yeah that's where i'm at now yeah you're the cocksure businessman yeah i thought i was going to walk the oil executive but the journalist who's uncovered my murky past all right next category information given stroke received stroke passed stroke learned Stop stroking. <laughs> Not in my court. <laughs> yes, I don't want anyone stroking themselves in my court. Um, I will go B minus. This is not as strong as I suspect. I thought it would be. That was a real, again, starts fingering his tie, loosening yep. his... Stop fingering yourself <laughs> in my court. <laughs> it's a sexy court, Paul. What can we do? <laughs> um, poetry. That's the next category I've written down. As we always do. <laughs> it's the regular poetry grade. Well, that, that's an easy. It's a straight E. <gasps> I cannot <sighs> abide it. Sorry. Antoinette. And I, He's done you I bad. To, He's done you bad, I Antoinette. Have to, I have to, to apologise to your guests, but... Hey, you're the judge. 
He's the you don't have to apologise to anyone. It was the, oh my God, not more of this. So Sorry, sorry Bulgaria. <laughs> so, Paul, we come to Dursley Factor. Was there anything in particular that, you, that tickled your fancy, Your Honour? No, so I'll give it a C in the middle. Objection, Your Honour. Yes. Well, come on then, object to something. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he hadn't thought that far. I hadn't really. I was surprised he even sustained my say, objection. You can't say objection without giving me something. Okay, so, Pete, you, you've now heard the judge's subgrades. Yes, I'd like to Before make a Before we go to the final, final grade, yeah, please. do you have a final statement? I do. I have a final statement. I would like to say that I feel we covered a critical period in Bulgarian history to a standard that the Bulgarians, who I know and love, would be proud. And also, in a way, a bad grade really is suitable for a Bulgarian tragedy. So I accept what is to come. I, after that, I do have to put my black hanky on. Judge Dursley, <laughs> will you please give your final grade for episode 34? D+. Plus. Uh, obviously, I'm disappointed with the judgment. Uh, we will be appealing this this uh, absolutely. There is no appeal. A tragic decision by the judge. Uh, all I can say is we will fight this to the highest court in the land, which unfortunately is also Paul Dursley. <laughs> okay, let's play the theme. Okay, well, I think we're all rocked by that. That was an unexpected, harsh judgment by the judge, but we have to respect the judge's decision. That's, we only have one judge. We have to go by his decision. We're all in shock all. here, but there we go. So, that, Thank you, gentlemen. I'm glad that you see sense. So that's it for our show for this week. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the stuff that we've talked about, the judge's decision, Pete's reaction... Tell us. Let us know. We want to know your reckon. So reach out to us on social media, through our website at hhepodcast.com or on email at hhepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. And one way to definitely feature on a future show is to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or leave a comment on one of our available outlets, such as YouTube, uh, where Joan Pichinov uh, said that was a fantastic episode and I'm amazed by your research and storytelling. Paul Dursley, I hope you're listening, says it was my first episode, but I will check out more for sure. I hope she enjoys the others as much as she enjoyed that one. Yeah. Well, cool. she should do. Is there a damn sight better? <laughs> thanks joan um and look if you're on tiktok or instagram facebook twitter you can get more content more hhe we have our little animated bites and they are a portable easily consumable Dis distillation distillation that's the word of of our podcast so check them out on all of those social things uh, we'll be back again soon with our next episode. But in the meantime, if you can't get enough of the show, which I wouldn't blame you for, you can check out our back catalogue of episodes, which you can find in your podcast app on YouTube, or you can go to our website, hhepodcast.com. Where you can also find T-shirts of The Verdict. Go grab yourself one. Who wouldn't? People will stop you in the street and go, oh my gosh, do you know Paul Dursley? And you will have to say, I don't, but I purchased this T-shirt from someone who knows him. All right. So a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Mr. Paul. My pleasure. And that's it. All that's left to say is... You've been listening to... History Happened Everywhere. The Verdict.
So, Pete, we've had a comment from a listener about bombs in planes. Yes. So, I, as you recall, the, I said that Sofia was the first uh, capital city to be overflown by an enemy aircraft. Mm-hmm. But we also kind of did Bulgaria dirty a little bit because Bulgaria was also the first nation to have aeroplanes that dropped bombs on their enemy. So they mm. had uh, initially modified grenades that they would drop out of their aeroplanes onto the enemy, which must have been pretty terrifying for a, a guy in, in the field who's normally the most scary thing he had was a horse with a man with a sword on charging at you. Suddenly these guys flying above you, dropping bombs. Yeah, dropping grenades, right? So they started as grenades and then a Bulgarian modified and put some fins on and they became what were really the precursors to airborne bombs. Oh, like with the detonator at the on the tip, so it drops... That's what the guy said. Ah, Very cool. So it was a really excellent extra piece of information from somebody uh, in our community. And I really encourage everybody in the community who has an extra little tidbit to offer to share it because it really helps us uh, explore and expand the topics that we've talked about. Any thoughts on that, Paul? Um, It's a titbit, not a tidbit. That was vastly more productive than I was expecting. Yeah. To be the the, uh, the tidbit was an American changing of titbit because they didn't like the word tit in it. I don't know whether they have blue tids over there, but <laughs> it's just uh, an, in, an, an interesting aside. <laughs> What's that got to do with bombs? <laughs> well, he mentioned the phrase tidbits. When? I don't even remember saying that. Well, you you said tidbits, so you've got you you pressed one of my buttons. Are we allowed to say tits? Is it supposed to be the bird, right? Well, tit is a not a swear word. Well, not a, no, but you know, like oh, don't be so prudent. Sorry, I shall shut up.